Well, our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 10. Uh, all four Gospels have uh, Palm Sunday, the record of the events of Jesus entering Jerusalem, but we're turning to, to Matthew today, chapter 21. This is God's Word. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And we thank God for his word. Well, today is Palm Sunday when we cast our minds back to that fateful day in Jer when Jesus entered Jerusalem. In that city, he was welcomed as a king, but crucified as a criminal. What a reception from one extreme to another. And it inevitably leads to the question, how do we receive him today? For many, he is neither welcomed as a king or crucified as a criminal, but instead he is ignored as irrelevant. At least that's my experience of many people who are not Christians. Obviously, that's not the case with everybody here and those listening online. You've come here to hear God's word, to hear about Jesus. But there can be times when we blank Jesus out, when we forget him, when we ignore him. And I include myself in this. It's like Jesus has arrived in the city and instead of being out with the crowds, we're in our house, taking a nap, oblivious to what's going on in the streets. Palm Sunday is meant to wake us up to Jesus, to Jesus the King. I don't know how you feel about monarchy or the idea of monarchy. Uh, there's a flag with the Queen's picture on it not so far from here in Kulkevi. Maybe somebody here put that up. Um, I certainly uh, respect the Queen, but I'm a bit more philosophical about the idea of monarchy. The idea that one person can rule over us, absolutely. Of course, our Queen doesn't do that now, and that's good. She's more of a figurehead in an otherwise democratic country. But in the past, kings and queens were very different. They weren't so benign. You had to obey or your very life could be at stake. But Palm Sunday not only wakes us up to Jesus as king, it wakes us up to the sort of king Jesus is. And he's a very different king because Jesus is king, but he's distinctive in his kingship. He's not like other kings who conquer through coercion, who look out for themselves, who demand that their subjects do what they want. 
He's not like the Roman emperor who ruled through his many legions of human armies. Jesus doesn't impose taxes on us, robbing us of the fruit of our labor to fulfill his own ambitions. He doesn't hold human life on the thread of the whim of his will and say things like, throw them to the lions. No, Jesus is a different sort of king. And he declares that he's a different sort of king by the way in which he enters Jerusalem. There's so many different ways that Jesus is a different sort of king, but I'm just going to highlight three that are in Palm Sunday. First of all, he's a king who gives us peace. Now, we covered some of this ground already when I preached in Zechariah chapter 9 at the end of February, um, and I thought about doing a little quiz to see how much you'd remembered, but don't worry, I won't do that. But I'm going to briefly circle back to remind you of those prophetic words written 500 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. Matthew quotes those words in verse 5 of chapter 21. Uh, he says, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. And in those first few verses of Matthew 21, we read about the careful arrangements Jesus made to deliberately fulfill this prophecy. And why does he do that? Well, it's to send out a message loud and clear by his mode of transport so that people will know that Jesus is the king who gives peace. How does this work? Well, it works with picture language. Here's an example. Uh, when Renee and I met, in her words, I was as poor as a church mouse. And I drove a very old Peugeot 106, which had been welded together for its last MOT. When I turned the key in the ignition of the car, you could never be sure it would actually start. Um, one Christmas Eve, we were at a Christmas Eve service at a church, and we got the car park afterwards. It was freezing. It was about minus five. Uh, and turned the key in the ignition. <laughs> went on and on. Wouldn't start. So I just uh, stopped and prayed over it. And next turn of the ignition, the car started. Um, my, my car was like a banner that said, Per Church Mouse. Now, if I'd come here on a motorbike today, it would be like a banner saying, midlife crisis. Uh, if we'd arrived in a people carrier, it would be like a banner saying, parents with lots of kids. We only have two, so our Nissan Duke is fine. If you saw me driving a Volkswagen Tiguan, um, it's me borrowing my dad's car, so don't get confused about that. And that's exactly the point here. Jesus is using the mode of transport that identifies him precisely so that there be no confusion about who he is. He is a king who gives peace. He's riding a colt, the foal of a donkey, not a war horse or a chariot. His mode of transport is like a banner that says the king who brings peace. And the reason that riding on a donkey is such a powerful message is that we can be sure that that crowd knew their Old Testament better than we do. The Old Testament was their Bible, it was their book, I wonder if we can say that of ourselves, that the Bible, Old and New Testaments now, is our book. Does it shape our lives and inform us like it did them? But circling back to that previous sermon, I had a focus on Jesus as a king who gives peace, and I contrasted him with Alexander the Great, who was going to be the next dictator on the horizon for Zechariah, and I contrasted him with Putin, who we are so familiar with today. Jesus does not become a king by force. He doesn't lay siege to Jerusalem. He comes in peace, 
riding on an animal that is the very opposite of a weapon of warfare. That's why nobody comes out to challenge him. No one has to rise up and defend Jerusalem the way the Ukrainians have had to defend Kiev. But as I said a month or so ago, the peace Jesus comes to bring isn't merely an absence of conflict. It's a peace that is captured in the Hebrew word shalom. Let me remind you again of that uh, definition I give. Uh, shalom, peace, means much more than mere absence of war. Completeness, wholeness, harmony, fulfillment are closer in the meaning. Implicit in shalom is the idea of unimpaired relationships with others and fulfillment in one's undertakings. This is a peace with God and a peace that God gives us. It's a peace that the crowd back then were hoping for because, of course, they knew what the word shalom meant. And here was a king who would fulfill their hopes for peace. Now, you could uh, say, you could speculate that perhaps some of them thought Jesus would fulfill their hopes by getting rid of the Romans who ruled them, and that might be true. But we do know that they recognized Jesus as a king who brought peace, and that the atmosphere of that crowd was alive with hope. Because Jesus is a king who fulfills our hopes. Look at verse 8, those well-known words, that well-known scene. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks in the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Uh, we know from John's gospel that those branches were palm branches. This is how they greeted a king. This is how their culture recognized a king. And it's an echo going back centuries. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13 says, They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. The palm branches are also a sign. They recognize Jesus as a conquering king in Israel's history. Between the Old and the New Testaments, Simon Maccabeus had liberated Jerusalem and the same thing had been done for him. And we see this uh, even in recent history in Europe, uh, if you think back to Ukraine again being in the news a number of years ago, there was the Orange Revolution. People wore orange ribbons to identify themselves with that movement. Also, not long after that, in Belarus, there was another protest against the government and people wore blue jeans to identify themselves with that movement using symbolic actions, visual things. And I won't even comment on what we do in this country with flags and marching bands, but you get the idea. This is a public event, it's visual, and even though it's drawing on ideas and events from the past, it's not stuck there, it's infused with hope for the future. And it's very loud. Verse 9, the people are shouting, not singing, but shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Hosanna is a word uh, which we're all familiar with if we grew up in church. Uh, it's always good to explain these words to people who didn't grow up in church, who didn't go to Sunday school when they were younger, or perhaps to explain them to people who did go to church uh, and never really understood what the Christian jargon was. Hosanna means save us, but it had become an expression of praise for God in Jesus' time. It's found in Psalm 118, verse 24, and the crowd shouts that very next verse, verse 25, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
This is a shout of praise to God. They know that God is doing something great through Jesus and he's going to do something great. That's their hope. But the words that really highlight their hope is the kingly name that they give Jesus, son of David. By those words, the crowd is identifying Jesus as the Messiah, a new and greater version of King David, the long-expected deliverer in whom their hopes are fixed. They have been waiting since Zechariah 500 years and Malachi, the last prophet, about four or 500 years, all those centuries for the Messiah to come. And now he has arrived. The question we might also ask is that they understand how Jesus was going to fulfill their hopes. Did they know how he was going to deliver them? Did they see that the pathway to their liberation was the way of the cross? It's hard to know. The answer is probably not. All the same, here is Jesus riding on a donkey and their hope is in him, their king, their Messiah, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. As always, when we read the Bible, it's important to read it carefully. Uh, There's an old hymn called My Song is Love Unknown and it has this line in it. Sometimes they strew his way and his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day, hosannas to their king. Then crucify is all their breath, and for their, his death they thirst and cry. What that hymn does is it makes the crowd that praises Jesus with hosannas the very same crowd that calls for his death on the cross. But actually nothing in the four Gospels tells us that. And in verses 10 and 11 here in Matthew 21, we can see that there's a difference between this crowd who accompany Jesus and the rest of the population of Jerusalem. This crowd is actually coming from outside Jerusalem with Jesus into Jerusalem. Let me read those verses again, verses 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, in Galilee. And the reality is that there were some who welcomed Jesus as their Messiah and became his disciples like those people in the crowd and others who rejected him because Jesus is a king who presents us with a choice. Do we accept him as king and as the sort of king he presents himself to be or do we reject him as king and as the sort of king uh, he presents himself to be? In Jerusalem, there were people who rejected him, especially people in power, people like the chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And there were those who accepted him. Look at this uh, painting of Jesus uh, in in this slide. When the artist James Tiso produced this painting from his imagination, he wasn't trying to show us what Jesus actually looked like. He wasn't trying to capture the scene of Jesus entering Jerusalem in some sort of realistic detail like a photo, what he was doing was asking a question. And his question was, how did people respond to this king on a donkey? And in turn, he's asking, how do we respond? In the painting, some people are praising Jesus. There's the crowd, which we have been reading about, following along behind. But there's also the man uh, on the right uh, with his hand on his chin, saying to himself, now, who is this? And then there's the guy in the fancy robes, also on the right, clearly an authority figure, and he's saying to Jesus, and who do you think you are? People's faces and 
Body language are revealing all sorts of different responses to Jesus. Some are desperate for them, maybe to be healed, maybe because their lives are in turmoil and they want that peace that only Jesus can give. Some aren't sure, some are holding back. Uh, I don't know about the guy who's leading the donkey. I think maybe he's thinking, hey, I'm leading Jesus on the donkey, I've arrived. But he doesn't seem to have much compassion. He seems a bit aloof. Does he have the same heart as Jesus? Which are you? Which am I? Where is my heart before Jesus? That's the question Palm Sunday asks of us all. Because here is Jesus. He is riding into town. He's making a statement. He's telling us who he is. And we need to respond. You could look at this painting for ages. But before we move on, look at how Jesus is painted And just to reiterate, there was never any intention in the artist's mind to show us what Jesus looks like. This is the artist showing us from the Bible what the Bible tells us Jesus did. And Jesus' gaze is fixed straight ahead. This isn't to be interpreted as a lack of compassion for those in the crowd who really need him in this moment. This is Jesus setting his face like flint as he heads towards his goal. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knows he has come to this city to die, to die for us. He has made his choice for us. He chooses to bring peace between us and God by his blood shed on the cross. Have we made our choice for him? Because here is a king who presents us with a choice. There's a theologian called Jürgen Moltmann uh, who has a very interesting insight about this. He doesn't get everything right, but I think he's right on this. He said that in the past, there were kings and queens who ruled over countries and sometimes city-states, and everyone had to do what they said. But now in the modern world, in democratic society, where everyone is equal, in theory at least, We are all our own kings and queens. We rule over our own domains. And we make so many of our own choices. Choosing which of the multitude of breakfast cereals to buy in the aisle in Tesco. Choosing our career path, uh, who to marry. From little choices to big choices, we have so many options. The world is our oyster in a way it wasn't 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Now, we may often see only the constraints, but a bit of perspective tells us that most of us have so many choices. We reign over our own lives in ways that people in the past could only imagine. But one thing that we have in common with the people in that picture is the choice before us to recognize Jesus as our King. If you've never made that choice, today is a good day to do it. Because Jesus promises that if we choose him, we will experience his peace now and for eternity. And if you have made that choice for Jesus at some point, he also calls us as our king to allow him to shape our choices every day. Choices about our career path, choices about what we do in that island Tesco, maybe not the exact choice of breakfast cereal, but the choice to go and speak to that person you recognize down the other aisle. All sorts of choices, all sorts of ways that Jesus can shape our lives. We need to allow him to reign 
over our lives. We need to get off the throne and let him take his place. Because when we do, we can truly know in every way and every day that Jesus is the king who brings us peace, who fulfills our hopes. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that from the creation of the world, you planned to send Jesus. You planned to send Jesus to go into Jerusalem on that donkey for us. Father God, we thank you that Jesus set his face like flint and went towards the goal for which you set, that he would die on the cross for us, that he would rise again, that he would ascend to your side and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. Father God, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to let Jesus reign over our lives, over all our choices, so that we might serve you, so that we might honor you, so that we might glorify you. Father God, help us to welcome Jesus into our lives. And in turn, show others that welcome too, to show them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have received. We pray these things in his name. Amen.